Chapter Thirteen of Doxy Dent by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A political meeting. About this time, a perceptible change began to manifest itself in the public life of Beckside. Hitherto, its remoteness had sheltered it from the agitations of the day, but Mr. Disraeli's Reform Bill had made many of our friends voters. A new and very advanced newspaper, called the Duxbury Gazette, and sold as a penny, began to circulate freely in the neighbourhood, and the clog-shop discussions, which had hitherto been confined to religious and purely local matters, were suddenly extended to high political affairs, such as the Irish church question, education reform, the ballot, and the strained relations between capital and labour. Jabe and Long Ben, following the habit of the older Methodists, looked askance upon all these things, but the younger men discussed them, whether or no, in the Inglenook, and many fierce and terrible word battles took place, and one day there came the paralysing news that Beckside was to have a political meeting. The curate had discovered, or thought he had, that Beckside was conservative, and so he had ventured to arrange for a meeting in the schoolhouse on the Irish church question. Sam Speck read the announcement out of the Duxbury Gazette at the clog shop fire, and next day bills proclaiming the fixture appeared on the walls. Jabe and Ben shook their heads over it, but Sam, Luke Yates and all the younger men, even including Nathan the Smith and quiet Jimmy Juddy, were intensely interested. The curate's meeting was, of course, in opposition to the disestablishment, and this put the clogger in a quandary, for though he strongly disapproved of this sudden political fever which had come to the village, and scoffed at and ridiculed in his own particular way Sam's pretensions to political knowledge, in his inmost heart he was with him on this particular question, and Sam was shrewd enough to discover that, in spite of his jibes and scoffs, he was really on his side. Sam had read in his new oracle, the Duxbury Gazette, several accounts of meetings in which the church party had been discomfited on their own platform, and it was the secret desire of his heart that some such thing should take place at Beckside. There was a difficulty, however, as to how it was to be done. If Jabe had been enthusiastic, there might have been a prospect of fun, but the most they could expect of him was that he would attend the meeting, a thing which was as yet very doubtful. There was nobody else in the village of any forensic pretensions, except it might be Luke Yates, and he, though enthusiastic enough, was no better instructed on the subject than the rest of them. For lack of anyone better equipped, however, Luke was eventually pressed into the service, and Sam and Nathan spent every evening between the time of this decision and the night of the meeting at Beckbottom, comparing notes with their advocate, and posting him up on the latest phases of the case, as far as they understood them. At last the day of the meeting came. Some time before the hour fixed, the little schoolhouse was filled, and the curate did not know whether to be pleased or alarmed when he saw it, for the company was made up chiefly of dissenters. Jabe and Ben had come, after all, and Sam was not without hope that even if Luke failed to make an impression, the excitement of the occasion would be too much for the clogger, and he would be on his feet before he knew where he was. And if he did, 
but Sam only allowed his imagination to revel in the prospect, and hugged himself in delighted anticipation. Presently the meeting was opened, and Sam overheard Jabe calling the attention of Ben to the awful fact that they hadn't even axed a blessing. The chairman was a local and somewhat unpopular landowner, and the rugged faces in the audience grew sterner as he took his place. Then the speaker of the evening, a travelling agent of some political society, was announced and began to speak. He had not been talking long before it began to be manifest that he understood his work, and the silence grew stiller and stiller as he proceeded. Jabe seemed profoundly impressed, and followed every word with blinking eyes, which at the most telling points were changed into nods of approval. Sam became very uneasy, and in a few minutes was beginning to wish he had never brought his old friend. One thing, however, became very clear, namely, that there was nobody in Beckside who could be put up to answer so powerful an advocate. Then the silence began to be broken by low grunts of approval. Once there was something approaching to a cheer, and when, after talking for about fifty minutes, the orator sat down, the meeting burst into ringing applause. "'It's no use tackling a felly like yond,' whispered Luke to Sam, and Sam ducked his head into his hands and wished himself away. Just then, however, the chairman announced that the speaker had kindly offered to answer questions, but before he had done speaking, he was interrupted by the voice of the clogger, crying out in stern disgust, "'Let's go warm!' But here the curate interposed. The meeting would not like to disperse without passing a resolution, and he therefore moved one, strongly condemning the unrighteous attempt to rob the Irish church of its legitimate possessions. This was immediately seconded, and those who were of Sam's way of thinking turned and nodded to one another, as much as to say, "'Well, at any rate, we can vote against it.' The chairman rose to put the resolution. Sam and his party ducked their heads under a sense of discomfiture. The silence in the room was almost painful, when suddenly a clear, ringing voice from the back of the schoolhouse cried, "'Mr. Chairman, may I ask a question?' Everybody turned hastily round to see who the bold intruder might be, and Sam and his supporters looked at each other in utter amazement, for the speaker was Andrew Barber. Long Ben groaned in distress and shame, and the clogger's leg began to work at a frantic rate. "'Yes, certainly. Come forward, young man.' And whilst Andrew, cool apparently as the proverbial cucumber, stepped up to the platform, the speaker of the evening got up and said how thankful he was to find young inquiring minds in Beckside, and how much he hoped that the young man would not be embarrassed or interrupted. Standing there as easily as though he were at home on a platform, Andrew asked his question, and did so in civil and courteous terms. A sudden change came over the lecturer's face, and he requested somewhat confusedly that the question might be repeated. Slowly, and with the utmost respectfulness, Andrew repeated his question, and as he did so, a gleam of light passed over several countenances, and people began to sit up with quickened interest. The lecturer, in reply, made a five-minute speech, full of compliments to Andrew, but containing little of the nature of an answer. Andrew quietly repeated his question. Once more, the visitor essayed a reply, 
but it was more evasive and roundabout than the last can this gentleman answer my question or can he not demanded andrew and the audience cheered if the gentleman cannot or will not answer my question i will answer it myself no 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 speeches cried the curate and the chairman together but the meeting was excited let him talk fair play let him speak and as it was evident by this time that the feeling had risen very high the chairman reluctantly consented and andrew began one by one in slow deliberate but quite masterly fashion for so young a man andrew took up the lecturer's points and answered them and by this time wonder and delight sat on the faces of all the dissenters present then andrew branched off into a simple history of the question and gave such an array of astounding figures that the hearers listened with amazement and the speaker and his friends on the platform winced and grumbled and protested at length however the speaker dropped his argumentative style and in a five minutes inflated rhetorical and amateurish peroration proclaimed the glories of religious freedom and equality and sat down it was a moment or two before the meeting realised itself but when it did so there burst forth such a peal of hand-clapping and stamping as that schoolhouse had probably never been the scene of before the lecturer rose to reply but nobody was in a humour for that and a rush was made for the door as soon as they got outside a call was raised for andrew but he had already disappeared never in the whole of its wonderful history had the clog shop been so full as it was on the evening on which andrew thus routed the curate and his politicians it seemed as if every responsible male in the village was there and the noise and clamour were deafening sam speck with his hat cocked at the back of his head went about from one to the other taking his friends by the buttonhole and demanding sternly whether he hadn't or let's tell thee there were some at more a comedy that lad in sublime indifference to the fact that his prognostications of former days had always been of a very different kind lige sat leaning on his stick looking about him in dazed wonderment and announcing every now and again that he was fair gloppened whilst jethro the knocker-up who ought to have been in bed by this time drew first one and then another into the corner on the door side of the ingle nook and informed them when i heard that slip of a lad bullockin them swells it fair grilled me to th bone. the clogger himself was in a dilemma the trouncing of the intruder was exactly to his mind and he felt a quite unholy gratification that it had been done so neatly and so effectually by one of their own beckside boys there was something within him that wanted to break out in proud exultation and if it had been any other lad he couldn't have restrained himself on the other hand he suddenly recalled his old-time dislike of this queer boy and when he came to think of it the cleverness he had shown that night had something positively uncanny about it how did it happen that this youth who had once so unsavoury a reputation that he could not live under such a roof as long ben's and who had now for some time been almost forgotten by the villagers should suddenly bring himself into evidence in this startling way and where was long ben why wasn't he listening to and sharing his son's triumph the fact that he had gone home instead of coming to the cloggery on such a night as this was a very ominous circumstance now he came to think of it 
and putting himself in Ben's place, and trying to realise the thing from his standpoint, there came back to his mind all the deep-rooted suspicion of mere demagogues and agitators which he and Ben had shared together, and, in fact, inherited from the Methodists of the generation before them. These feelings and memories made him unusually silent, and though he listened attentively to all that was said, his mind somehow persisted in reverting to his friend the carpenter, and to the disturbed and saddened feelings with which he feared he had gone home. It was next day at noon before Ben appeared at the clog shop, and when he did so, Jabe's experienced eye detected at once that there was sorrow in the heart of his friend. Well, Barbers has come out for once at any rate, said the clogger as his friend lighted his after-dinner pipe. But Ben was not responsive. They puffed away in silence, one against the other for some moments, and then Jabe went on. Then here towed us as thou were rearing a cuckoo among them young spadgers of thine. And then, with a laugh of conviction, it can sing too. Ben's pipe had gone out, but he sat chewing at the mouthpiece and glowering earnestly at the fire, and just when Jabe was preparing to stir him up by another remark, he snatched his pipe out of his mouth, and leaning forward, cried, though in a voice that grew fierce in its intensity as he proceeded, Don't thou tell me about God answering prayer any more. And then, with a rush of despairing vehemence, Oh, tell thee, it's no true. Ben, Ben, and the clogger's tones were heavy, with solemn, wondering reproach. Did Abram pray for Ishmael? Did Isaac pray for Esau? Did David pray for Absalom? And what come of it o'er? It's no true, o oh, tell thee, it's no true. And hastily dashing his pipe to the ground, and the angry tears from his eyes, Ben got up and walked out of the shop. But before the excitement occasioned by Andrew's astonishing appearance at the schoolhouse had subsided, another and more wonderful discovery still was made. The popularity of the new Duxbury Gazette had been brought about largely by the appearance in its columns of a number of very popular and biting articles on current topics by a contributor signing himself the Lamplighter. These were looked for eagerly by most of the readers, and those weeks when there was no contribution by the person named were regarded as blanks. At the clog shop, these productions were read with avidity and discussed night after night. Sam Speck had, in fact, acquired quite a new importance in both his own eyes and those of the frequenters of the cloggery by his masterly public reading of the all-attractive productions, especially as he grew to feel that at least some moiety of the glory which they imparted belonged to him as the channel through which they reached the Beckside public. On the Friday night after the scene at the school, the article in the Gazette was of more than usual interest, and it made one or two references to the Beckside political meeting. Sam had read it in his very best manner, and was turning the paper over to glance at other news, when John T. Harrop started once more a discussion which took place now every time the lamplighter appeared. Who was the person so signing himself? Jaunty was stating with his usual decidedness his oft-repeated opinion that it was nobody in that neighbourhood and could only be some very clever person in Manchester or even in London when there was a sudden, well, all be bothered, 
from Sam. Every eye was at once turned inquiringly upon him, but all that Sam could do was to whisk the paper down to his side and cry in amazement, Well, oh, good to Hanover. What's the lump you'd up to? grunted Jabe from deep in the ingle nook. But ignoring so trivial a question, Sam strode across the fireplace and tapping Johnty on the shoulder, he cried, Thou wants to know who the lamplighter is, does ta? Thou wants to know who has written o'er them articles, does ta? Well, I can hear. And drawing himself up in the full consciousness of the glory that the paragraph he was about to read would give him, he commenced. Special note to our readers. We have been besieged for some time with enquiries as to the identity of our valued contributor, the lamplighter. But hitherto, we have not been able to gratify this very natural curiosity. At last, however, we have received the consent of the writer to allow his real name to be divulged, and we have pleasure in announcing that the brilliant young politician, who so effectually disposed of a certain itinerant Irish church advocate at Beckside the other night, and the lamplighter, are the same person. Mr. Barber, having accepted the appointment of secretary to the Duxbury Spinners and Minders Association, will henceforth reside in Duxbury, and continue the valuable contributions which have so delighted our numerous readers. Perfect stillness reigned in the cloggery for a moment or two after Sam had finished, and then there burst forth a chorus of long amazed whistles, followed by another pause. And then the babel recommenced, and for the next quarter of an hour everybody was speaking at once. Jabe called Sam a whole string of abusive names, and utterly refused to believe the news. And it was only when the paper had been carefully spread out before him, and he had examined it for himself, that he gave in. The younger men were full of elation and enthusiasm, and the elder ones simply sat there and stared at each other. Then Long Ben came in, and was told. And so great and contagious was the pride and triumph of the noisier ones, that for a moment even he looked uplifted, and Jabe, on seeing this, cast off all the restraints of consistency, and openly boasted of Beckside as a nursery of greatness. So great, in fact, was his pride and delight, that he presently limped off into the parlour, and communicated the astounding intelligence to Doxy, who, not having read the lamplighter's contributions, seemed to her uncle strangely unimpressed by the news. End of chapter 13